Lord, Jesus is the only name whereby we must be saved. It's at the name of Jesus that uh, every creature will bow. Everything will submit to his authority. And we thank you that we have this hope. And our hope is in Jesus. Only Jesus. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. So, claiming, this guy was a salesman, but claiming to have won the first and only Oscar for public speaking, uh, Elmer Wheeler understood how language affects people's emotions. So it was in the 1930s that he came up with this, this notion that, that you need to sell the sizzle, not the steak. Of, of course, the, the, the cow was indispensable, uh, but a mooing bovine never sold a steak. Uh, it's the sizzle on the barbecue grill that did. Wheeler reasoned that if people were more motivated by the sizzle than they were by the actual uh, product, uh, that he would be able to get more sales. In fact, his sales techniques are still in uh, use uh, today. Uh, You see, it's the bubbles in the champagne. It's the smell of coffee in the morning. It's the sound of the engine. It's the touch of the Egyptian cotton that sells these things. It's not really the product in itself that they're that they're pushing. And this is not new to humanity. Individuals and crowds have always wanted sizzle. Uh, Even the crowds that followed Jesus wanted sizzle. You see what they wanted. So so long as Jesus performed miracles, so long as he rebuked the religious Elite, so long as he was doing performance art, as far as they were concerned, uh, they stayed with him. They loved the, the sizzle. But Jesus wanted something else. He wanted them to eat steak, not just listen to the fleeting sounds of expectation. And while there's nothing wrong with uh, sizzle, who doesn't like the sizzle of a, a steak on a barbecue grill or the, the smell of, of coffee in the morning. Jesus wanted more than that. He wanted them to have nourishment, sustenance. He wanted them to have eternal uh, life through him. They weren't able to handle it. The, the Bible refers to this uh, eating uh, uh, strong uh, meat or solid uh, food. The author of Hebrews uh, wrote about this. And th- many churches today seek the sizzle. Many individuals today seek the sizzle. Solid food is far less exciting uh, to them. And uh, the author of Hebrews in five eleven through 14, he wrote this. Uh, he wrote this after speaking about Christ's kingship. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you understand how, how deep it is. And he wanted to go deeper. He wrote about this. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, those with power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since the author of Hebrews wrote this in the intervening uh, centuries. Not only were the early followers of Jesus interested in sizzle, contemporary churchgoers are still motivated by that as well. So now we come to the end of John and the sizzle is gone. John chapter 6. That's the inflection point in Jesus' ministry. That's the place where it takes this turn, this curve, where it never actually comes back from. From the beginning of chapter 6 until now, there have been a lot of changes. He was wildly popular at the beginning of chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. They don't like him anymore. Let's read about some of these changes in verses 60 through 71. In verses 60 through 71 of chapter 6 in John, we read, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It was as people began to understand Jesus' instructions that they were offended by some of his teaching. I mean, now not only were the Jewish leaders hostile toward him, but also many of his disciples, not just those people on the outskirts, but the people who were following him said, eh, you know, I've had enough of this. this. This isn't working at all. In fact, the widespread enthusiasm for Jesus as a political savior was over. They realized He's not going to rescue us from Rome. He is not going to challenge 
the Jewish leaders and become the king. He is not going to do those things. And while that political fervor would re-erupt again, the triumphal entry, then it too was going to prove fleeting. Because although he was a healer, his words were just too difficult to accept. His teaching too offensive and, uh, and too challenging, frankly, based on the way they understood it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing thing here. The word hard in the, in the text is the Greek ad- adjective uh, sclerose. And dermatologists know this word. Uh, there's, they know a lot of words with sclera in it. Uh, uh, sclerosis, scleroderma. That's where those words come from. There's a whole bunch of them. They're scientific words, so we don't use them very much in our common English, but that's where that word comes from. It means hard, hard to the touch. But while in English it means that, in the context, the way the Greeks would have used it, it doesn't mean hard that way, like hard to understand. Jesus, I don't know what you're saying. It's not what it means. They perfectly well understood what he was saying. What it meant was it was harsh. It was offensive. They were offended by the words of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So when Jesus said, do you take offense at this? The term in 1 Corinthians and the term that Jesus used are the same terms, the same word, scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal from. In other words, they were offended by what he said. They, were, they took offense at the words of uh, Jesus, and there were, there were a lot of them. Uh, I can't go through all of them, I'm only going to look at a, a few But uh, one of the things is that our sins are so bad that we deserve death. Uh, That that God is holy. That we must submit, in particular, submit to Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. These things are indeed offensive. And not only offensive, uh, they're so offensive that we are rendered invisible. That's nonsense, they say. None of that is true. That's just religious nonsense. And those disciples who were listening to this and were offended, they were so offended that they left. I mean, they physically, they physically left. You you can see, you can see this uh, happening, this process where the people were leaving uh, Jesus Christ Because most of them left, as you'll recall, when Jesus said, now the only reason you're following me around, because remember, they had wanted to make him king. That's where the political picture comes in. They wanted to make him king. He said, the only reason you're following me is because I fed you. And I'm, I'm just, that's not what I'm here for. And so when they realized that this political Messiah was not going to be the case, when they saw that, their political hopes and ambitions, they, they began to abandon them, and so they began to abandon him. 
I mean, because they had hopes. And listen, they all had hopes. The disciples had hopes. You remember during Jesus' ministry uh, that even those closest to Jesus sought political power. It's an amazing thing. James and John, right? The sons of a thunder. What was their request? To sit on the right and to sit on the left hand of glory. Oh, wow. (laughs) Dual uh, vice presidents or something like that. I don't know what you would call them. Uh, But even Judas, I believe, his rationale for what he did was politically motivated. I think he was trying to force Jesus into a political showdown so that because, listen, Judas was not a believer. Okay, there's a lot of things we can say about Judas, but one thing Judas witnessed for the three years that he walked with Jesus was that Jesus performed every day, miracle after miracle after miracle. And his motivation was political because he knew the power of Jesus. He knew what Jesus was capable of, and he tried to force his hand and uh, didn't didn't work at all. Ultimately, those scenarios, and I could list many more, revolve around the desire for the acquisition of political power. But Jesus, as he so frequently did, said in essence, he said, I'm not here to fulfill your political desires, your political wills and wishes. I have no intention of overthrowing Throwing the Roman Empire. I have no intention of taking the throne of David at this time. I am here to be the bread of life so that you might find life in me and life eternal. Now, my, my habit is, is not to speak about political things. I, uh, I avoid it from the pulpit. But I do speak about political things when... The Bible does. And as a citizen of the United States, I have an obligation conscientiously to be a good citizen in the political process. I vote. I vote with my feet. I vote with my pocketbook. I vote with my uh, voice. However, probably, I don't know, in the last 40, 50 years, perhaps, in the broader church, the church in some places is aligning itself with actual political parties and with actual political theming, which is a, in my uh, view, it's, it's a disaster. The separation of church and state, and I want you to think about this for a second. The separation of church and state is a distinctly Christian notion. It came out of a Christian worldview and mindset And it was so that the government wouldn't uh, put a burden on the church, nor the church a burden on the government. There was a a separation there that as a a chaplain in the military, I had to walk uh, all the time. And but nevertheless, you have these obligations to both kingdoms. I am a citizen of the United States. I am also as. You who know Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. When you ally yourself with 
political powers that are earthly, even if you share similar or even the same values, it is really difficult not to be co-opted by them. And, and that's, just, that's just a fact. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know what all your political affiliations or involvements are and as it relates to the church, and I'm not saying anything about this, but I am speaking in the broader sense that when you have two power structures, one of them is going to pull on you more than the other, or you're going to listen to one more than the other. Let me give you a little example, just a tiny example of this, uh, and during, uh, as an Air Force chaplain um, during Operation Desert Fox, a man came to me. He was in, he was in great distress. We had just said we were going to, uh, you know, go bomb Iraq and uh, Saddam and all of that. And he was really, really distraught. And he came to me because seven years earlier he had participated in the bombing of the uh, Amaria uh, bunker. Not something that probably most of you are familiar with. But it was a place that was supposed to hold all of the high-level Iraqi military leadership in a, this, this bunker, but it didn't. Instead, what it held was their, their wives and their children. And uh, nobody, it, nobody lived. 400 is the minimum number of people who were killed. Nevertheless, this man suffered a profound moral injury as he as he said to me, I went from a hero to a zero in a nanosecond. Now, he wasn't able to do his job as a warfighter. What do you think the government wanted me to do? They had one goal, one goal only. Get, get this man back in the fight. Get, it, that, get him back in the fight. What was my goal as a Christian? And as a chaplain, I could exercise. I could care less about getting that man back in the fight. That wasn't even on my list of things to do. My list was I needed to do what that man needed to do, whether he got back in the fight or not. So you see, there's this, there, there are these draws, and if you're, if you're not aware of them, if your mind becomes attuned to them, you can begin to see how you can be used in these ways. And that's what these people were trying to do. They were trying to use Jesus because he lined up with their thinking and they wanted to use him to overthrow Rome and to clean out the religious leadership. So how do we do this? I mean, now that I've set that up, let me give you a couple of things that general principles we can pull from the Bible. First, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. So it's important to remember when we want, and, I, and I'm not saying don't get involved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you need to take great care that there are tremendous powers in play here. It's important to remember that Jesus will one day 
exercise perfect political power as king. He, he never modeled political power as a way to change our society. Now, I'm not saying a person shouldn't be in office. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the modeling that he used for change was humility and self-sacrifice and love. And as believers, we should not put our hope in any political power. Because when we do that, what we actually find ourselves is, is we're lining up with something other than the kingdom of God. And we must never use uh, the political power or Jesus, for that matter, as an amulet to get our way, as good as it might be. The second thing, and that was really offensive to the, to the, to the people around. They were uh, really turned off by Jesus because he wouldn't enter into the political arena. The second thing that offended the disciples was that Jesus wanted to meet more than just those physical needs, which I already mentioned. We talked about it in verse 26 when we covered that, when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Here's someone who can feed us. Make him king. Jesus said, No, I don't want to meet those temporal needs only. It's not that he doesn't want to meet those needs. It's just that there's more. There's these spiritual and eternal needs. But they were treating Jesus as if he was a divine vending machine. And Jesus isn't okay with that. Jesus is not okay with meeting all of your wants and dreams and material desires simply because you feel like you have put the quarter or the dime or the 50 cents or whatever it is you have to put into a vending machine these days. But Jesus, I've worked so hard for you. You should, you should grant me this request. That's not the way Jesus operates. He doesn't want to meet your, those needs. He wants to be. He wants to be that which or he wants to be the person who meets those needs. He wants to be the bread of life that we feed on, the one that sustains us and fuels us. And as uh, with the disciples, same thing happens today. Uh, people are offended uh, and they leave uh, Jesus um, because of his teaching. I mean, what would we say today in, in, the, in the modern world? I mean, think about this. Think about Think, you know, I, I just saw the new stats. So when I was in the military, uh, the first time I heard th that they even recorded these stats, this was in uh, 2007. They said that 70% of young people between 18 and 26 were not qualified for military service. It is nearly 80% now. It's nearly 80%. And it's just, it's just, it's just staggering the the difference between military life and life in general. Do you have any idea? Think about this for just a moment. Do you have any idea the difference, the delta between how you think as a believer, as a Christian, and the rest of our general society? We are miles apart, folks. Miles. You ask somebody to come visit your church. 
the response. It might be spoken, it might be unspoken, I don't know. Uh, you acknowledge that God created us male and female, right? Uh, you think that husbands should be the heads of the household. You believe that Christ taught that hell was eternal. Yeah, you know, I'm out. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. I, I can't. That's Neanderthal thinking. You do know that. You do know that the majority of this country thinks that people who truly believe and act on and walk in accordance with the Word of God are Neanderthals. We have to know that. We have to know that. We have to understand that. And the reason is this, because Jesus tells us clearly that without the Holy Spirit, we are utterly unable to understand Jesus, either who he is, what he does, why he came. The crowds who assessed Jesus' words as hard, that is offensive, those who believe take those very same words and find them as words of life. What is hard for the person who does not believe, what is offensive for the person who does not believe, is embraced warm truth for us. Isn't that staggering? Doesn't it stagger you? It should. His words are life. And in verse 63, he points out that his ascension, so that even the Holy Spirit could come to be poured out on the world. Life and belief come by the Holy Spirit. Not intellectual understanding. I've never, never in my life, oh, I've had to claim many, many times, claim, claim, claim after claim, Oh, I can't be a Christian because I have intellectual difficulties. No, you don't. No, you have, you have issues that are spiritual. It's not an intellectual understanding. Verse 63 and 64 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is how much help? The flesh is some help. The, the flesh is a lot of help. The flesh is, as I read it, no. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. And then he, a little further down he says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. So in, in essence, Jesus said, my words offend you because you are spiritually lifeless. What he was teaching was that it requires divine enablement in order for us to come to faith. And the unbelieving crowds right there 
are evidence that the flesh counts for nothing. And then we read this. Uh, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I I love this Greek word, uh, walk. I mean, literally, I just love to say it. It's peripateo. I mean, it's peripateo. It's just such a good word. Uh, I think we have, in English, it comes to us as peripatetic. Uh, We have uh, this word, again, medical community kind of word. But anyway, what it means is, it means to to, uh, peripateo, I walk. It means to walk alongside of. And in in this context, it has this discipleship notion. I I walk with you. I talk with you. We camp together. We we eat together. We we drink together. It's what all those uh, trail life uh, leaders and the boys are going to do in Minnesota in the next week or so. They're going to do a lot of fishing and canoeing and whatever. Whatever it is that they're doing, they are... Peripateoing. That's a kind of a Greek-English word. And the, the notion is, is those who were walking with Jesus, it, said, it says that, that after this, many of his disciples turned back and they didn't do that anymore. They didn't want to be with him. They didn't want to spend time with him. But those who did, those who understood the exclusivity of Jesus would remain. We see that in 67 and 68. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Now, okay, you get into all these things with Jesus' divinity and his humanity and all of that. But the way this is stated in the original language is this is a legitimate question. This inflection point, this teaching that Jesus was giving was so difficult for people to assimilate. They were so offended by this that Jesus asks the twelve, have I lost you guys too? Are you, are, you know, am I alone now? And Simon Peter answered him, and I want you to get how he answered him. He didn't say, listen to me, he did not say, oh yeah, that teaching you just gave, wow, spectacular. Man, I I got the sizzle of that thing. I'm feeling it. Let's go. That's not what he said. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Said another way, Peter just went, there are, we don't have any alternatives. In other words, it wasn't like, oh, I want to dive straight into what you were saying, and I really get that, I really love that, I really enjoy that. Man, what a teacher you are. He, no, that's not what he said. What he said was, Where else are we going to go? Essentially, Peter said, Lord, wherever we look for another way, another, uh, another leader, another philosophy, another Messiah, another view of God, another salvation, uh, they all come up short. We can't walk away. 
Some of you may have been or perhaps are in that position right now. You may be deeply troubled by some of the things that you see in the Bible, trying to figure out how does this work. Some of these things that you see in the Bible may actually be offensive to you. And you're asking the question, can I go somewhere else? Is there another view of sin that I can take? Is there another view of God that I can take? Is there another view of salvation? There was, I tell you what, there was a moment in my military service that I was so stunned by a series of events that I, I asked the question, where would I go aside from Christ? So Christ, okay, if I checked out, where would I check out to? Would I go with those who deny the existence of God in saying that we are just mere chance? Some acid, a little bit of water, maybe a torpedo of uh, meteors or maybe a lightning strike, whatever. Hit a rock. Here we are. Whatever I have problems uh, with following Christ, there's no way. I can, I, there's no, there's just, I know. That, that takes more faith. If you want to talk about just faith, like a leap of faith. It takes more faith that something came from nothing than that we came from the finger of God. Would I go to those who maintain that good and bad is an illusion? <laughs> or worse, that we're all born good and we live good and it's only a society that corrupts us. If we could just change society, why then we would be all so good. I tell you what, that's a naive view of human nature. I don't care where you're from. We know in our own souls, in our experience, this thing called sin. And it binds us. Would I take a different route? Hey, you know what? Oh, I know how to do this. Wow, this is such a great thought. Ah, I'm going to go the universalist route because I still I get to keep God. And none of the bad parts. <laughs> uh, that doesn't work either. No wrath, no final judgment. Serious? Or worse, what's actually coming through the church, sweeping through the church these days, is this notion of process theology. Process theology. What is that? It means that God doesn't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Any more than you or I do. And so he has to flex and move and change with it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want a God like that. I'd rather have the no God than a God who is mutable. Would I go back then? I've already mentioned this, so I'm, but you know what? I'm going to mention it twice because I just think it's so ridiculous. Am I going to go to the what I call the garden slug uh, variety? No, I'll tell you where I would go. I haven't and I didn't. I would go to alcohol or drugs or some other kind of addiction to self-medicate. Because thinking there was no solution, I would just try to drown out the noise. Here's the problem with all of that for me. That was my life before I became a Christian. 
It was Jesus that lifted me up out of that. It was Jesus that saved me from that. It was he who pulled me out of the pit. The only place to go was the cross. Is it because I liked what was happening that day? No. I would rather have another option. But you know what? I'm not given another option and neither are you. Those who hear the word of Christ understand what Peter was saying. You have the words of eternal life. Listen, you have the words, everything else is details. Once you understand that the word of life resides in Jesus Christ, the righteous, you understand that what he offers to you is eternal life. An eternal relationship with God. Uh, John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life that you know that uh, they know you, uh, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Jesus offered himself in such a way that we have nowhere else to go. And fully understanding and appreciating that you get beyond the events of the moment. Your eyes focus on eternity and you see that the real distinction here is about those who believe and those who do not. The world, really, I, I think, in the spring of 1912, it stood in awe. And you've heard this before. I've said this uh, before. But it's just... It's just such a, uh, I suppose the reason I'm mentioning this, I'm thinking out loud right now, is because of the uh, that little submarine that went down and imploded. Uh, but as the Titanic uh, set out on set out on her maiden voyage, 882 feet long. This is 1912. It's a massive, uh, massive ship. And with the kind of self-importance that uh, only the press could muster, <laughs> they, they proclaimed that uh, uh, what was made was uh, impossible uh, because the ship was unsinkable. But the, there it was, the unsinkable ship. Someone even claimed, and there's different claims about who said this, and it doesn't matter. Uh, somebody said it. Uh, uh, even God himself cannot... Think the Titanic. So about 48 hours later on a clear night, listen, you got to understand it from a passenger's perspective. Apparently, when they hit this thing, most people didn't even notice it. It was a bump. That, and that's all they felt. And yet this bump uh, gashed in that 882 feet, a, a 300 foot plus long gash in the side of the, the ship. And it sank within three hours. And when the news of that reached England, uh, the relatives, what they did was they, they, they ran to the Liverpool offices and, of the Titanic. And this is what they looked for. This is true in the Civil War as well. This is, it's a sad thing. A single wooden board... Two columns. 
Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Two columns saved, lost. Those who were saved and those who were lost. No one was listed according to their wealth, their rank, their accomplishment. It didn't matter whether you're an Astor or a Vanderbilt or an immigrant, a waiter, a chauffeur, a banker. didn't make any difference. The question was saved, lost. It would do us all good to stand and just see that board. Forget everything else because when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, that's what matters. Have you trusted Jesus Christ and are saved or not? The SS Earth or Her Majesty, was it the HMSS? Whatever it is, they, in the English case, it would be HMSS Earth is going to collide. We are going to die. All of us. Unless we are caught up in the rapture. That's another Teaching another day. Question is, saved, lost. There's nowhere else to go. You'll either be on a lifeboat, Jesus Christ, or you will drown. Will you, peripateo, will you walk with Jesus? Or will you, peripateo, walk from Jesus? The choice is yours. Father, we are deeply amazed that you give us the time of day. Um, But you have the words of eternal life. You are the one who gives us life and strength and power. Without you, we literally do have nothing. But with you, we have everything, including just reflecting on the the sweetness of your mercy that you give us all that we need to live holy and godly lives. We thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.